so loaded. It's, it, there's so much in these passages that you could just spend weeks and weeks and weeks just on a few things. I think the little elves around Christmas here really messed me up. They snuck into my closet and shrunk all my clothes. <laughs> I'm not sure just how that happened, but anyway. Hebrews chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in, you, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom he was grieved forty years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Father in heaven, help us tonight. What a wonderful, wonderful passage. Deep scripture yet so plain and really easy to understand i pray father that you'd help us tonight to grab a hold of what this rest is all about and grab a hold of the warning that you give not just to them but to us as well lord help us now exalt yourself tonight in jesus name amen he starts out in verse number 12 and he gives us an urgent warning and when you just read this and it says, take heed, brethren, you don't understand why it is such an urgent warning. And this is why you pay a pastor to study. That's why they got deacons, so that the pastor had time to study. Uh, you, many times here in English, you don't get all of what, what is there. That's why you got to go back and you check out the Greek, you check out the Hebrew or whatever it is, you check out the context, you check out the meanings of, of words and all of these things that for us normally, we just read past them. And so to start out, I want just to show you what I'm talking about. He says, take heed, brethren. He's talking to his fellow Hebrews. He's not talking to us. Remember, he was writing this to the Hebrews. Duh, the book of Hebrews. He's trying to get across to them the problem that they were having. They were under severe persecution. They fled their homes. They've had to run for their lives. Some of them were saved. Some of them were not saved. They were part of the family of those that were fleeing for their lives, so they weren't saved. And you had some that were staunch Jews that were caught up in all of this. 
and he's writing this to all of them, and he uses specific verses and specific terms to really drive his point home to them. And we, in our, in our church and in our Christianity, we kind of read through this very quick, and we don't grasp the whole thing, what he's saying. So he's talking to the Hebrews, and if you'll keep that in mind as we go through, you'll begin to see why he says what he does. When you're looking at passages of Scripture and even words, uh, again, you don't see these things in the English when it says, take heed. Take heed. But when you go back and you start studying, you find out this is in the present tense. We've been talking in Sunday school for several weeks about those that had sinned. I mean, it says a, a Christian can't sin. Well, what's he talking about? He said those that sin, they're, they're, they're the devil. You have to understand they use different tents, they use different modes, they use different voices, all in one specific word. For example, here, the present tense is used. That's a continual action. That means it is not just a one-time act. It is a habitual action. That's why he says, for a Christian, he's not going to sin. He's not going to be a lifestyle of habitually in sin. But the lost man will be. And so this is the term. It's in the present tense. So he says, I want this. What he's saying here to be a habitual action in our lives. It's in the active voice. That means it's a choice of your will. Who he's saying this to, they have to make a choice. No one can force them to do this. No one can coerce them. This is a choice because it's in the active voice. But it's also in the imperative mode. You see why it takes pastors a long time to study? We're just getting to the first word. We ought to be here till next Christmas if I finish this. But it shows a, it's a command. It is not an, a, a suggestion. So when he's saying take heed here, understand they knew their history. They knew how God had responded to sin. When he's already in chapter 2 and starting in verse number, the first part of 3, he uses that illustration of Israel provoking God out there in the wilderness. So they know their history. And they know how God has dealt with sin. And so what he's saying here, he says, take heed. This is a, a, a very serious matter here. It expresses a warning or a, a fear. Paul here as he writes this, I believe Paul's the author, but it's, he's writing this and he says, I, I'm so afraid you're going to do this. And I am warning you. He doesn't just read, take heed. He says, take heed. Serious stuff. And see, you don't just get that when you just read just, just right on through it. God hates sin. We forget this so often. We think he's more like the, the liberal politicians that just, you know, go with the wind of whatever's in the public eye. No, God hates sin. He always has and he always will. 
And because of that, I was reading in my devotion this morning, Proverbs 28, 28, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And he said, you have to live in this fear that you are, you are making sure that you have a pure heart, that we maintain that pure heart. You just don't go through life and case okay, sera, sera, what will be will be. We went through a whole era in America like that. Look where it got us. So knowing that God is going to deal and will deal with sin, he wants us, he wants to give us rest. In the last part of the, of the, of the first part of the chapter, he dealt with rest, 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 rest. In chapter 4, five times he mentions rest. And we'll get into that. But he's wanting to give us rest. So he says, we should make that choice to obey. We continually watch and keep and maintain that soft heart opposite of what he's going in, in the rest of this verse. He says, take heed, brethren. Before, whenever you come to God or come to church here, and, and, and we have a lot of fun. And you know me, I'm very serious. I never joke around, never, you know, antagonize or anything. But there's a seriousness. We need to teach our children that. This place is not a playground. This is God's house. We need to teach respect for the things of God. It's just that we've got to maintain that tender heart. And he said this was what was happening here. There was, a, there was a problem. They weren't watching. They weren't keeping that soft heart. That's why he says, let there be any of you. You see, just like a parent, he said, I am afraid that this is going to happen. And that it is happening in you is what he's telling the Jews here. He says, an evil heart of unbelief. Now, again, the word evil, normally it's the word kakos. And that is just for a man that is content to, to perish in his own corruption, his own lost, sinful state. He's just an evil man. That's not the word used here. It's the word pornoos. It's a man that is not content unless he is corrupting others He's active in his unbelief, and that affects other people. And what does he use for his example? He uses the, the children of Israel, the spies that had gone out. You had the 12 spies go out, and 10 of them come back with an evil report. Why? It came from an evil heart. They were not content with themselves to disagree with, with God. They had to stir up all the people. That attitude that's in a person's heart that they are not content just to not agree with somebody. They're going to have to get one in. They're going to make them pay. They're going to do something. That's why every church split happens. Because of an evil heart. One that is not content with just Let's go find another church. We need to go to another church. 
No, we're going to stay here and we're going to stir this thing up and we're going to get them on my side and them on my side and them on, and we'll split this thing right down the middle if we have to. That comes from exactly what he's saying. Someone that is not content to just disagree, but someone that is not content until they have affected and that heart affects other people. That's the way the world is. Look at our politicians. Used to be people could disagree. Now you can't disagree with anybody. That comes from an evil, this pornoas heart. They're not content unless they're bringing other people along with them. And the heart here, that's the center of man. It's, it's this, I'm going to do things my own way. How many times have we heard pastors say that? But that's what it is. It's that, it's that person that in their heart, that evil heart, I am not going to let God have his way. I'm going to do it my way. Whether it's in salvation, I don't care if you say faith, I'm going to get baptized and that's going to help me out. I'm going to take communion, that's going to help me out. I'm going to go ahead and do good works and try to keep Ten Commandments and all the different things that go on with it. It comes from an evil heart comes from one that will not submit themselves to God. That's what he talked about, whether it's in salvation or whether it's in life, that we won't submit ourselves to God. Israel out in the wilderness, uh, water wasn't enough. We want more water, and we want water now when we want it. We want bread. Uh, they'd been eaten, and yet they wanted, they wanted food now. Uh, we, we, want, we don't want to wait for Moses to come down. We want to worship our God now the way we want to worship him. And over and over and over, you see what this evil heart does and how it comes out. It comes out in murmuring and complaining and a refusal to accept God's word. That murmuring. You go back and remember we listed those things that Israel had done in the wilderness and every time almost it says they were murmuring against God and against Moses. Questioning something for information or confronting stupid or confronting sin, that's, that's not complaining, that's just straightening things out, that's getting things right. But murmuring, that's what we used to do as kids. Under our breath, when mom, we, when mom turned around, that's murmuring. You know how many times we do that? How dare the preacher say what he said? Well, why didn't he do this? Or why don't they do this? Why don't they move the chair a little bit? Just always complaining about something. Always murmuring. Not going to the individual, but murmuring. We laugh and call it gossip. We're murmuring. And you see that God destroyed Israel more for murmuring than any other sin. Just that attitude, that, com that complaining. And, and, and what does he say about this attitude? It says they've departed from the living God. 
That's what he says in the verse, in departing from the living God. They'd heard the truth. Israel, as that nation, as that people, they had heard the truth. They said they accepted the truth. Just like many today say they are believers. But when it comes to this point, and we dealt with this uh, a few weeks ago when we did the first part of the chapter, when he used this, this same passage, we'll see it in a little bit here. But it says, when they heard the truth, they accepted it, or they said they accepted it. But for them to not trust God now, when things are going wrong, they're being persecuted. Now they feel like, well, maybe we should go back. Maybe we should not leave Judaism. Maybe we should get out from under the persecution and things. It shows an evil heart. When there's just, it takes a little to get you upset. When it just takes a little bit to get you mad enough to leave a church. When it gets you just some little thing and you're going to quit serving God. You never had it to start with. You say, well, how do you say that? Hang on, we're coming there. It says they separate themselves from God, basically. That's what the term means. They separate themselves from God. We will not go in. Israel, God brought them to the boundary. He said, let's go in. We will not go in. We're not going to trust you. When the, well, there's big giants out there. You see, all this time they profess to be God's chosen people and that God is sovereign and God can fight their battles and God can do this and God can do that. But they get up there to the border and what do they do? They turn around and they say, we will not go in. What are they proving? They're proving they have an evil heart. Now, now watch how he, what he says about some of this. They professed salvation, but they were lost. I know that upsets people when I say that, but listen. In John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 6, the Bible says, If we say, okay, what are they saying? Just like the children of Israel, we're God's people. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth. Go down to a couple more verses, verse, verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, uh, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Over and over and over he says, talk's cheap. It's easy to say I'm a believer. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. But when the going gets rough, when everything doesn't go the way we want in the Supreme Court and every time we go to, the, uh, to worship and somebody's trying to harass us or they try to shut the building down or they try to shut the preacher and lock him up, or what are you going to do? He said, if you're saved, you'll keep going. Is it going to be easy? No. Was it easy for the Christians back then? No. Was it easy for the Jews? They were running for their life. We got this concept, everything's going to have to be perfectly okay, and if I'm okay with it, then it's, everything's fine. But if not, 
Forget you, God. I'm gone. I'm out of here. And that's what some of the Jews were thinking. It's getting rough here. We've had to leave our homes. It says, departing from. It does not mean they belong to God and then now they no longer belong to him, but they're that Hard heart, that wicked, pornous heart was, was there. It was just hidden. It was just disguised. That's why in Luke chapter 8, some people never get this. Luke chapter 8 and verse 13. They on the rock. He's talking about the sower and the seed. They that were sown on the rock are they, which when they hear, just like Israel heard the word, they received the word with joy. Boy, this is a good idea. I kind of like this Christianity. I mean, you know, you can kind of, you're free. You, you don't have to follow no more rules. You can just go ahead and do what you want to. But it says, and these have no root. The term root here is that of foundation the foundation of Christ. They did not have Christ. Salvation, they did not have salvation. They had no root there. Oh, this Christianity is a good thing. It's like all the hippies. Boy, let's, let's put a daisy in a gun barrel and paint our little Volkswagen up and with flowers and everything. Sounded good, didn't go very far though. It's not a fad. This is not a club we're joining. And that's the concept that many people have. Well, this is a good idea, but there's no root. They've never been saved. And he says that here. He says that in the Hebrew passage we're talking about, he says it all over the scriptures. And he uses this illustration. They, they have no root. A relapse of, from Christianity back into Judaism as they were trying to be forced to do would be like the Israelites that come to the border and said, no, God, I'm not going in. That's the illustration he's using here. Not me using it. He's the one that's using it. Well, I, I, I'm one of you. While the blessings come in, but when the blessings stop, I'm out of here. Why? There was no foundation. They went out from us because they were not all of us. And they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. God uses trials and tribulations, problems and situations, health and finances in our lives to sift through the flower. And the good flower comes through. And those that resist that sifter, those that can't go through, they never enter into rest. Now the exhortation to exhort. You say, that's a double. Well, that's what he's doing. He's giving us an exhortation here on them, actually them, and it, but it comes to us. He says, but exhort one another daily, verse 13. The word exhort is the same word talking talk about paraclete, though. It is that, that paraclete, that, like the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. He comes alongside to minister to us. 
That's what the word means here. It means to aid, to help, to comfort, or to encourage. And so what is he saying here to these people that are under persecution? He said, exhort one another daily. You've got to prepare. You've got to exhort other people. I put three things down here. It's supposed to be what preachers do, I guess. Prepare for exhortation. Watch for an opportunity. Did you come in tonight and look and see who's discouraged? Who might, instead of be smiling like they normally do, come down the mouth? Who looks like they're sick? Probably are. Do you look for opportunities to exhort, to help, to comfort, to encourage? You see somebody that maybe's missing church. Somebody you hear has had a health problem or something. Do you, do you send them a text? Do you, do you call them? Do you, well, he said, exhort one another. How often? Daily. There's tragedies out there. People need to be encouraged. People need to be challenged. There, there's a lot of discouragement out there. A lot of, when new people come, go meet them. Go meet them. And that's where you come to the number two, practice exhortation to others. You might have a book that the, you, know, you think that would really be a blessing to them, really be an encouragement to them or help them in their Christian life. Uh, give them a book. Just give them a word. Just share a verse that God's blessed you with. I've already done that tonight in, in, in uh, Pro, or Job 28, 28. He just really stirred my heart with that wisdom. That's where wisdom is, the fear of God. And it fit right into exactly what I needed there for the Lord. Uh, you might invite somebody over for cookies or coffee or ice cream or ice cream or ice cream. That's in my, it's in my notes here. <laughs> might play games with them. There may be times when you have to confront a believer with something that may be difficult in their lives. But that's a part all apart, you're helping them. You're encouraging them. And then, number three, hear exhortation. Uh, listen once in a while. When people speak, it, it, it really, it will help if you listen. David, God's going to speak through them. God's going to help trim, trim your ears back once in a while. He does mine all the time. Well, if I remember it, it doesn't happen too often. 10 times a day. He said, while it is called today, he said, you, you must take heed. You must exhort one another today. That it's, it's an urgency that comes along with this term. Tomorrow may be too late. You say, well, you know, I didn't greet that person or I didn't give them a track there at McDonald's or, or, or at the restaurant or at the, at the DMV or whatever. Uh, how many of you would have liked to have been able to give a track to that officer that was killed the other day? And we walk past policemen and we never take out a gospel track. We never invite them to our church. Take every, exhort them while it is today, he said. It is an urgent situation. Notice, why did he say that? Lest any of you be hardened be hardened 
through the deceitfulness of sin. The term hard means to make dry or stiff. You become insensitive to sin. And sin has a hardening power. You say, well, I'm getting away with sin right now. You are. You think you are. But if you do not confront it, if you don't get out of your life and you say no to the Spirit of God, it becomes easier the next time to go ahead and do it. And the next time it's easier and easier and easier to where now your conscience is being seared. It's just like when I used to play the guitar. We'd hit our hands on the fingers for hours just trying to get the, get the ends of them dead, to callous to where when it played that guitar, it doesn't just, <laughs> just kill you. That's what sin does. Oh, that one little thing didn't hurt at all. I can do that for quite a while. And then after a while, I don't even feel it. Had my finger cut off when I was a kid, and they sewed it back on, and we was sledding one day and out there and sledding. My hands got cold, and, and my finger turned blue. And, and Benny, one of the guys, he said, well, I, I, can, I can help you with that. And I was just a dumb little old kid, you know. And he t- opened up the Jeep and put my finger up there on the manifold. Oh, I couldn't feel it right then, but I sure did feel it later. Sin it will harden your heart, and you have no idea that you're getting hard. But when you get to that point, you are just hard as a rock. That's why 85% of the people get saved before they're 26 years of age. For an old person... To get saved is, is almost a miracle. Why? Because all those years they've been hardening their heart and hardening their heart and hardening their heart until finally they either say no or let God have his way. You've got to watch people when they come in. Are they starting to isolate themselves? If they're starting to isolate themselves, they're starting to get a cold heart. Their heart's starting to harden up. They don't want to be around Christians. They don't want to be around other people and everything. That's when you need to come in and exhort one another daily. Give them that word of encouragement. Get them out of that despondency. Help them. Work with them. And then sin is not going to be able to have dominion over them. And part of it comes through us. Comes through us. I, I, I do not understand why people walk in a church and just sit down. You know what? You're saying, I'm there for me. That's it. Get out of your chair. Not now. And go around and shake hands with people. Exhort one another daily. He said, this is an urgent thing. You may not be despondent, but other people are. And we're here to minister to others, not have everybody minister to us. Sin does what jail did. Remember Jael? Jael's nail. Sisera comes running in and, and she first thing she did, she gave him milk to drink. Why? Put him to sleep. Next thing you know, Sin took that, that nail with a hammer and drove it right through his skull. Samson had a little problem with a girl type called, uh, what is her name? Delilah, that one. 
What'd she do? Give him some milk to drink, put him to sleep. While he's asleep, and when he woke up, he didn't know the difference. Do you know the difference? How close to God are you? You're as close as you want to be. Sin hardens our hearts by deceiving us. J.L. deceived him. Delilah deceived him. Satan deceived Eve and, and all the way down the line. Sin is deceitful. It, it shows you the pleasure, but it don't show you the pain. Hebrews 14, or 13, or 3 verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ. It's not a club that we've joined. He says we are in Christ. Jesus is in us. It I believe it is, I believe this, and I trust in him for my salvation so much that no matter what comes, I'll just have to face it. He's going to be there with me. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust in him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12 says, For the which cause I, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I am persuaded. When you're persuaded, you can do miraculous things. You watch those athletes. You know why they get them all pumped up and hyped up and everything? And they're, they're pointing their fingers at themselves and beating on their chest and me, me. They have gotten them so pumped up that they think they can actually do it. And you know what they do? They go out there and they do it. We have to be persuaded with Christ, and that's what they needed. They needed to be persuaded that what they have committed to him, he's going to carry it through in this persecution. He's going to do what he said in their lives. He's going to give them rest. He said, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now watch this. We covered this before back in chapter 3. And we'll, we'll give you the verse here in a little bit. If we hold, if we hold, if we hold. People don't, Baptists don't like to hear that. <laughs> Not the Pentecostal hold on, you know. No. But if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Belief involves more than just a momentary decision. It involves a life, a habitual life of following him. You have some that say they're Christians and yet God said they're not disciples. They're not disciples. They're not wanting to pick up their cross. They're not wanting to, to bite their bullet. They're not wanting to stay in the battle. The warning, take heed. And he said the proof of their salvation depending on whether they continue in the faith and the belief that they are secure in Jesus Christ and he is going to give them what he promised and that is rest. And that's what he's going to cover 
here in chapter 4 over and over. See, he repeats the same thing he did back in verse number 6. Look in verse 6. He said, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You see, when we're going through trials, when we've got to go to the hospital, when the doctor says we got cancer, when, when we have that heart attack, when we have financial collapse, when we have the problems, when we have persecution, when our families turn against us, no matter what, God said, you still got me. And you hold on to that belief. You be persuaded that he is able. You're not able. I'm not able. But you've got to be persuaded that he is able. What did he say faith was? Believing that he is and that he is a what? Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We're going to continue in the faith. It's going to be tough. It's going to get tough here in America. I'm seeing things happen here that I thought would only be over in Uganda and different places like that where we was at. But it's coming here faster than you can imagine. And the persecution is going to come right along with it. He said that if we were saved, we would prove that through our continuing with Jesus Christ. Is your confidence in how you feel or is your confidence in your baptism or is your confidence in Jesus Christ? We must continue in that faith in Jesus Christ. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, he says, he's writing this to the believers in the church at Corinth. He says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. He's talking to believers. He said, I want you to take heed. I want you to make sure that you're saved. Why? Because there's a lot of this, you know, easy Christianity, easy believism. We come through this whole area. I've seen people stand on the street corner and people went supposedly went into Christ and the guys that they're talking to are just literally laughing and mocking, you know, and the other person is praying for them and goes back to the church and says, I've got three more saved. It's not salvation. That's coercion. He said that that, that don't happen. He says, we have to take heed, brethren, that deceitfulness of sin will get in there and it will make us and cause us to be deceived and think we are something we're not. And we need to go back and say, when did I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and why did I do that? He repeats the warning here in verse 15. He says, while it is said, remember to open and all of their service and every Sabbath, every one of their services, they would open it with this phrase, today if you will harden or hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. 
what he's saying to them hit right in their face because every worship service in the Jewish synagogues, would, they would start with that same verse. And he's saying this, as if you've hardened your heart, you need to listen to this. You need to take heed. While it said, remember, today, will we listen to what he's saying? Will we listen to what he's saying tonight? Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. What did God say to you in the message Sunday morning? We're supposed to hear. What did he say when you read his word this morning? Remember, he starts the whole thing out in verse number one about he's spoken in times past by the prophets to the, to the fathers, but now he's spoken to us by Jesus Christ, his son. And over and over, and even in the last, all the way through to the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, he comes up with the same thing. He said, listen up, listen carefully. The same thing that he's just said, take heed. Seriously. He is speaking. Are we listening? It's important to go forward in church. Let me talk to you young folks. It's really important. It's important that when, when the preacher speaks and God speaks to your heart, you should come and, and, and open your heart to God and, and just... You know, if it's sin, confess that sin. If it's something God spoke to your heart about, then, then come and make it right. Amen? But I watch you. And some of you, you played the whole service. Didn't hear a thing the preacher said, goofing off and whatnot. Invitation comes. Parents, you need to find out why your kids are going forward. Exhort. Help them. Know what God's doing in children's lives. It's important. That's a part of your responsibility. I want them to come forward. But we need to, we need to look at some of these things. Don't harden our heart. Listen to the exhortation. Sin. He, he's warning it. Look, this is not a game that we're playing. We're dealing with eternity. Sin. He's warning us again. Sin and, and self hardens our hearts. Sin begins in the heart. If, if we deal with our thought life, most of our sin is taken care of. If we'll deal with our thought life, most of our sin will be taken care of. We need to die to our self-desires and, and not trust our feelings. Why? Because sin is deceitful. He works through our emotions and our feelings. And we need to listen. Listen to what God says in church. I like, I, I like a lot of you guys taking notes and things, both boys and girls, during the service. Yeah, adults ought to be doing the same thing, taking notes. 
You're not going to remember it tomorrow unless you take it, write it down. It's important. Attendance, faithfulness, involvement. It, it's about others, not you, not me. That involvement, it's it, witnessing and giving and activities and serving that as a part of God's body. What is, he, what is he trying to do? He's getting their eyes off of their problem and putting them back on Jesus Christ and the reason that he saved them. And that's what we should do. We ought to get our eyes off of our difficulties and our problems and all the petty little things and start putting it on Jesus Christ and how can, how can I meet your need? How can I meet your need? How can I help this brother over here? How can we do that something more for this family over here? And before long, Jesus is really in perspective. And as we start hearing his word, our hearts become tender instead of hardened. Self doesn't rule. And sin begins to loosen. That attitude, harden not your heart. As in the provocation, he's talking about when Israel was out in the wilderness and provoked God over and over and over. And the same thing, we tempt God. Do we trust him? Do we really rest in him? And we'll talk about rest next week extensively. In verse 16, he says, for some, there will be some. But you don't have to be one. Don't make any difference if the rest of the people want to go this way. If the Bible says this, you stand for it. God will bless. It says, when they had heard, they heard God's promises. They knew what God had said about sin. They knew what God said about rest. They'd already been instructed, and Paul is simply reminding them. He says, they, when they heard, they did provoke. They refused to listen. They refused to believe. They refused to trust God. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, Caleb, Joshua, and the children. Can you imagine that? Just a handful out of thousands upon thousands that went into that promised land that was there. because of disobedience, because of that, that unbelief that they had. Verse 17, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Remember the spies, they were going into Canaan, looking. they got to looking at their circumstances and not at God. Peter, he's out there walking on the water and he takes his eyes off of Jesus Christ and, and, and he's got to focus on him. The Jews, they were looking at their persecution and instead of looking at Jesus, we look at our health problems, we look at our money problems, we look at our, our, our state and society, and, and boy, God has forsaken us. I wish I could take you to Africa. Don't you ever complain about the medical treatment you get here. I'll be on you like a fly on honey. When you see what other people have to go, to, go through, you are living like kings and queens. Listen, don't be a complainer. Don't be a murmurer because this is kind of what he's talking about here. 
We can't focus on those things. It was, he says, was it not with them that had sinned? He said that attitude was with those that sinned. That action followed those that sinned. The reason for the judgment. They sinned. They refused to believe God's word. You know, all the preacher does it week after week, he said, just do right. That's all he's saying, just do right. If we just do right, <laughs> it's good. Christian life is a blast. It's, it's fun. Just do right. And God is going to work. It says whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. Those that were, had provoked him for those 40 years. They grieved him 40 years. They were the ones that sinned. And it says whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. God's promise came to pass exactly the way God said. It didn't make any difference. It was 100,000 or 200,000 men out there in the desert. Every one of them dropped graveyard dead and never walked a day into that, in that, that to Canaan, the Holy Land. Why? Unbelief. And then the last thing here, the doors closed. The doors closed. I think we kind of finished it up last time on the same nail because he's using the same illustration. It said in verse 18, to, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest. Now think with me. The deadlines. You start going through the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not playing any games anymore. Noah and the ark. God shut the door and said, that's it. You're, those of you that are outside. God means what he says. And he's telling these people, you keep going. You keep encouraging one another. You keep striving for, for, to know Christ better, even under persecution and problems. You keep going on. Why? You can't turn back. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You started out that way. You continue that way to the end. There's deadlines. If you're going to be like the other in Israel and you turn back, said it's not going to work. Proverbs 29.1 says he that after being reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. There is no remedy. They crossed the deadline. Romans 1.28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I think, I think a lot of America... I'm serious as a heart attack. I think most of our politicians, God has turned them over to their own reprobate mind. You can't think like that with a human mind unless it's perverted. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Why did God turn Israel out and let them die in the wilderness? Because they would not believe the truth. Noah preached 120 years. Why'd God shut the door? I've had people, I've had preachers come say, oh, I believe they was out there crying on the, crawling on the walls and God was hearing their cries and they got saved. 
Not a bit. Why? Because God closed the door, not Noah. And God had already promised them. That's it. God gave them opportunity. It says, but to them that believed not. They had the opportunity, but they wouldn't hear his voice. Listen. Sunday. What's God saying in Sunday school? What's God saying through your husband or your wife? What's God saying through the exhortation of your friends? What's God saying through the message to you, not to everybody else, to you? Because God is speaking to us. And he wants us to know. And he's given us opportunity. God's rest is only for those that believe. Only for those that believe. In verse 19, we close. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The key to rest is belief. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation, rest comes through Jesus Christ. His salvation. But he doesn't stop there. Our life starts out with belief. You rest in him in salvation. But it continues in belief. You rest in him throughout your life. That's why verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. You started out saved by faith, and your life continues in faith. As it is written, the just shall live, those who are justified shall live by faith. Then just one time and that's it. That's what he's telling them. In this whole passage, our life ends in belief. We rest in eternal glory with Jesus Christ. Every man makes his choice to believe or not to believe, to choose life or to choose death. When did you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? When did you do that? I can go back to the very place, September 21st, 1975, in Bethel Baptist Church.